Hello and welcome to How They Did It with me, Darby Worley. Join me as I talk to extraordinary people about this thing called life and how to do it better. Today on the show, Jamal Smith. Jamal is someone I know from my side gig at Equinox, where he is a stellar cycling instructor, but it's a side gig for him too. He is so much more than that. Today we talk about love, body image, and politics. Hi, Jamal. Hi. So I wanted to interview Jamal because I th- I feel like you have this amazing life like comeback story that I only know a little tiny bit about. So we'll get into that. But let's start at okay. the beginning. Were you somebody who knew what you wanted to do with your life as a kid? Like when you were a kid, what did you think you would be or what did you want to be? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a lawyer and work in politics. Oh, by the way, here's where I should probably tell you that Jamal is a lawyer and he's working on Hillary Clinton's campaign. So you knew you wanted to be in politics when you were little. Have you been disillusioned to discover how, um, I don't know, I feel so hopeless right now about what a president can actually get done? Um, What are your thoughts on that? I'm not disillusioned. I think the more campaigns I do, and this is my second time helping Hillary, not disillusioned. In fact, I think that I am more, I have much more of awareness of how the process actually works. And I'm, I understand the importance of having a president in office who can broker, compromise, come to deals and be pragmatic. And the president also does a really good job at setting the tone for what those discussions are going to be. So even if the president can't come in and get everything that they want enacted done, they can absolutely set the tone for what will come out. Because everything is compromised at the end of the day. So you want somebody that's going to be in there and then a compromise in a way that's going to at least best represent um, your interests. But, you know, you know abs- elections absolutely matter. And, and the other thing, too, and this is why I'm really not disillusioned, is because most of what the president does that has an impact, you don't really see on the front pages, but you feel for generations to come. Specifically, Supreme Court and federal court judge nominations. These are huge. Like, that's escape law for how laws are going to be interpreted and applied to people for generations. And so you absolutely want somebody in there that's, that's going to represent a view that you like. And the other thing is, is the discussions and the, and the policy that's going to come out. So just the fact that, for example, even though it was an evolution to get to marriage equality, we would not have marriage equality unless we had a Democrat in office who was sort of steadily pushing forward so, so, so I just know, I just know this like lore about Jamal Smith that you lived in your car for a time. What? Oh how gosh, did yeah. that happen? So, whew, okay, so such a weird story. But I got a job in Miami, and um, working for a campaign down there. And when you work on campaigns, particularly when you take certain positions like organizing, the pay is terrible, and the hours are horrendous, and they don't want really to give you anything like in terms of like. Right, under housing, you, you rely on volunteer housing, and it fell through. And I, it was really weird because I think when you deal with, and, I, and I've, I've, talk, I've, I've read stories about this when, in hearing about other people's sort of situations with homelessness, is that it really creeps up in you. There isn't like one moment where you're just sort of like kicked out of your home and you end up, it's like it's a series of little small incremental steps until you sort of wake up one day and you're like, oh, this is a situation I'm in. So, you know, I, it started off, I was just, like, I had less and less money. And I was sort of bouncing around from place to place to place. And, and in my mind at the time, I just I just thought, oh, well, you know, this person's house is closer to the office. So I'm just going to, you know, spend them out at their place. Or, um, oh, you know, I remember, I remember clearly thinking, um, oh, I'm just going to, 
I, I know I can probably stay over at, you know, so-and-so's house, um, but, you know, they're like 30 minutes away, and, and it's such a late at night, and, and, and I'm afraid of falling asleep on the road, so I'm just going to pull over here in this parking lot and sleep here. And, <laughs> and, and, you, know, and, and, and that, you know, the whole time, you're not really, at least for me, I'm not really putting it all together. I'm just thinking, I'm just doing what I need to do in this moment. And, uh, and that's, and that's what happened. And then it just, it was sort of like that kept getting like one day turned into two, turned into three, turned into like me dancing around at different places to me just like straight up, you know, like sleeping in parking lots and truck parking lots. And, and then, and as I'm kind of becoming a story, I'm looking back and thinking about how, how crazy it is. I remember even thinking, oh, well, you know, I should just sleep in a church parking lot because that's going to sleep, sleep safer than McDonald's parking lot that I was sleeping in because when I did that two days ago, this happened. You know, again, not putting all the pieces together. And, and I, I, you know, and one day a friend of mine needed to get something out of my car. Oh, oh, and the other thing I should say is at this time, I'm working. Like, I, I, I'm making some kind of money. Like, I'm still going into some sort of job. So that's the other thing, too, because I'm thinking, well, you know, homeless people don't work. I mean, that was my, like, sort of very naive point of view. Homeless people don't work. Homeless people, you know, people who are living in a car, you know, don't have jobs. So I, I have a job. So clearly, like, this, this isn't a problem. This is just me trying to be pragmatic. And then one day, someone, a friend of mine, needed to get something out of um, my car. And, and I went to go open up the trunk. And she just stopped. And she just, like, looked in the trunk. And she saw all of my stuff there. And she's like, you have to out of yeah. She's like, you have to me out of your car. I was like, oh no, 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 no. You know, I'm just doing this. I'm going here, there. And she's like, you're living <laughs> out of your car. You're coming home with me tonight. Yeah. So she she took me home, and I stayed on her couch. So it, it was really just by by the grace of, of good friends. Um, oh, and this was the other thing too. I still had my apartment in DC because it was super cheap. So I went back to D.C. and I was in my apartment struggling, although at the time you don't really realize you're struggling, but struggling. And then I got another job back down in Florida, hmm. went back down there, two weeks of moving back down to Florida. So giving up my apartment in D.C., moving back down to Florida, I was laid off. And that's when things got crazy. Hmm. And I, I, I could... I could see myself being homeless again. And then a friend of mine who was down there worked at a gym called Equinox and said, you know, I know that you teach classes. Why don't you just audition? And that's how I started, really started to teach, like, full-time gung-ho, like, I'm going to make a living at this teaching. It, it just works hand-in-hand. Hand. So even now, for example, I mean, I, I, I'm on the campaign. I'm working crazy hours, but I still teach because... One, I still love that stability. I mean, from now I've been teaching at Equinox in particular for going on five years. And I think Equinox was there for me when I was laid off and I had no money to know what was going on. It was there for me in Florida. It was there for me when I transitioned up to New York. It was there for me when I transitioned from the foundation to the campaign. So when everything else in my life was sort of through all sorts of moves here in New York, there's always been that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's always been teaching. So now it's like a grounding force for me. It's my release. It's my release. It's my creative outlet. It reminds me that there's bigger things going on than just my nine to five, that as important as, you know, working on the presidential campaign is, I matter too, and I need to make sure to do things that are good for me. And it just helps me cope, it helps me deal, it helps me get through my day. So I know what I get out of teaching. What do you get out of teaching that you don't get from your day job? I love mentoring, Mm -hmm. and I love coaching, 
and I get to do that. And my day job, especially on the campaign, things are moving so quickly. There is, there's no really, there's no mentoring. Mm-hmm. You just, I mean, you, you, you know, we hire people who can like jump in and do the job and keep going. Um, and you don't really have like time to like, there's, you know, you just have to just, you just constantly moving, constantly moving. Um, so I love, like, I love, to, I love being in a position where I can coach members. I see them on a regular basis. I can help them get stronger, help them get better. Um, I love the creativity, the musicality. I love de- developing programming um, and, and thinking about how, how the body moves on different planes of motion and how we can, you know, pull it all together to create a really great program that's challenging, but also these people wanting more. Um, so it's a different way to think than I, than I do in my job. And the other thing is, is that I think that, and this might get me into trouble, but politics is rough and tough. And, you know, in my, in, in my, in a, and I have to switch. I, I, when I'm in the office, I'm tough, you know, and you gotta like, you gotta, I got, I, I say what I mean. I mean, when I say it's rough and tumble and you, I'm, I'm a fighter and that's it. But like when I'm in the, cl- in the class, I get to be the other side of me. I get to like gracious. I get to be of service. I get to be open. I can like let my guard down. I, you know, I can, it, it allows me to, 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 to explore that softer side. And, and I just value that so much. So right here, Jamal stopped the interview and said he was going to have to call me back because something blew up at the campaign. Um, we just got rudely interrupted by politics. Can you tell us what happened? What was the emergency? Can you say? I, you know, I can't, but, you know, the, the, the thing I love most about politics is that at any moment anything can happen. No two days are ever the light are ever the same. And you can come in and think it's going to be a quiet day and you're going to be able to knock things out and something falls out of the sky and it's and it's full steam ahead. I, you know, I like that because I love the rough and tumble, but then also, it, you know, no victory lasts for too long, but also no failure lasts for too long. So you, I used to suffer a lot from anxiety, and I, I think for a while I had a self-defeatist sort of mentality and a self-defeatist behaviors. And like the thing I love about politics is that we all make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes, but your mistakes don't last too long because right around the corner, here comes another opportunity, you know, another project, another something. And so... You know, whatever mistake you made or whatever problem was like what happened 20 minutes ago, it's already, you know, you already moved on and on to something else. So I, I, I really love that about, I really love that about, about the work. So. Yeah, I like that. My, one of my, my father has a, uh, like three or four kind of like John Worley-isms and one of them is good times don't last, bad times don't last. Exactly. Yeah. All that lasts are people and yeah. you just keep going. Yeah, and in politics, it's like, it's like even with the 24-hour the news cycle, things just, it's so much more accelerated than it, why, what it was, I bet, um, last time you worked on Hillary's campaign, right? It is. I mean, things move so quickly, and it's, it's a blur. Like, I can't even believe that Iowa was, what, like, earlier this week. It, it feels like a, a year ago, I mean, when I think about everything that's happened since. Um, and before I know it, I mean, November's going to be here. So, um, God willing, we, you know, we make it that far. So it's, it's exciting. You, you just, you never know what's going to happen next. And you really just kind of hold on and, 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 and try not to try not to, uh, not to, not to fall off the plane if it's sticking off. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when we were uh, interrupted, we were still talking about fitness. And the one thing that I haven't asked you right. that I wanted to hear about, you were a fat kid like me, right? Yes. Oh yes. I was a fat kid and what was so funny was i was a fat kid and my parents owned weight loss clinics in california really? so i would go yeah so i would go and see my parents like after school i go to their work like every kid goes to their you know sometimes I have to go to their parents office you know if they get out early and here i was the fat kid in my in my parents weight loss clinic my, my parents was, owned karate schools 
So the same thing. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah so I would my yeah, I, and I so would have like, to go to class and I'm like so fat I can hardly get my belt around my tummy. <laughs> right. Right. And so I was like, ah, uh, what's the disconnect here? I, I hated going outside. I hated being active. I hated sports. I hated anything physical. My mother would have to force me to go outside, force me to move, force me to play sports. You know, now fast forward, I mean, you know, they can't pull me out of a gym. They can't stop me from moving. So what was the turning point? When did it happen for you? So I was in college, uh, and I went through a really bad depression in college. And I was trying to deal with coming out, and it just wasn't going well. And I, I was a fat kid, and I thought that if I was really skinny you know, a guy would like me and want to go out with me and date me. So that's when I started working out to try to get really, really skinny. And, um, and at this time I was going through really bad depression and I had stopped. It was really rough. I, I, I just felt really bad about myself. I, I didn't like what I saw in the mirror. I was, I, I, I at one point I, I just stopped going to class. It was difficult, but difficult to go to class. And I remember I, I had a mirror and I would have I, I, one of these. I just decided one day I was going to try to pull myself out of this. So I put up little post-its around my mirror of just like positive affirmations. So at least when I saw myself in the mirror, I would see these positive affirmations. Um, and I thought, well, if I had a boyfriend, then maybe that would pull me out of my depression, right? And so I and I thought, well, you know, it seems like skinny people, skinny guys, gay guys, get boyfriends. So I'm going to try to become really skinny. And you know me, but you know people who are listening to this can't see me. I am the furthest thing from skinny. Like even even as a fit person, I'm like my body's not built to be skinny. Yeah, you're but what, I, what we call you know, a, a mesomorph. <laughs> Jamal is a big hunk of a man. I just want you to know he's tall and he's built. And yeah, skinny is not a word I would associate with you. Fit, strong, beast. All those words, yes, but skinny, no. Yeah, but skinny, yes, yeah, skinny, yeah, and skinny was nothing that I was going to achieve. Like I was really trying to be. You know, just really, really thin, super, super, not, not even lean, just thin. I thought that's all I need to be. So I started going to the college gym to just work out. And this was before I knew anything about fitness, do anything whatsoever. I just, I was just going to just do whatever, just work out. <laughs> it's so crazy. I, that would be the only thing I would do in a day. Like I wouldn't go to eat. I wouldn't see, go to class. I wouldn't see friends, but I would go and try to get skinny at the gym. But in a weird way, it pulled me out of my depression because I would go to the gym, I would work out, and of course, I would finish and I would get hungry. Mm. And I'd be like, okay, well, I, I guess I need to eat. And so then I would go to the cafeteria and I would see friends and they'd be like, where have you been? We haven't seen you in a while. Mm. And you're never going to like tell anybody that you're lying around miserable. Um, but, you know, I just sort of make up some excuse. And then that slowly pulled me out because as I would work out and then get hungry and then go and get something to eat, I would see people. And then I would go out, get something to eat, see people, and then that might turn into, let's go see a movie. It slowly brought me back into the fold, and then I started going back to class, and then it sort of got me back into mainstream. And so that's how I started um, working out. So you're no longer a fat kid, but I know that you still struggle with body image and with kind of those the, yes. the internal fat kid. Can you, how do you combat that? And are, can you, a, first of all, talk about a little bit so people listening who think that fitness professionals never right. feel badly about their body. Say, talk about that, and then talk about what mm. you do to kind of fight it. Right. So, you know, I, 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 I still struggle with it. I know. I empirically know I am no longer a fat kid. Like, when I look at the data, I look at my weight, I look at my body fat, all those sorts of things that indicate obesity. There, you know, I am not, I am not uh, indicating obesity or fatness whatsoever. I get it. But... Sometimes I look in the mirror 
And sometimes I just see, I see, I see a fat person ashamed to take off my shirt. And, you know, people would make fun of me. My brother would pinch my nipples. Also, all those sorts of little things that, you know, when, I, when you know, when, it, when you're young or you see kids doing it now, you just think it's just childhood antics, but they stick with you. Yeah, I still remember going into my locker when I was in junior high and somebody had, A, I don't know how they got in my locker, but somebody had gotten into my locker and posted an ad for like, uh, some of those, one of those get skinny quick bullshit diet pills or yeah. something in the inside of my locker. And I, that happened, I was 12, so that was 37 years ago, and I still think about that. Yeah, these things these things stick with you. And, and, just, feeling, and, and just feeling like, you know, I, I don't have value mm. as a fitness professional. I don't have value. Uh, I don't have value because I... I, I I don't look like that. Um, I mean, yes, I'm fit, and I, and, I, and, and I know I'm fit, and I know I'm not fat, but I don't have a six-pack. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I, 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 well, you also, know I, so water what, doesn't. What's the ideal, um, like, for you? Like, what kind of guys do you like? What's your ideal <laughs> body type? Well, I mean, the guys that I like, this is so, so crazy. I like all kinds of guys. Uh-huh. I, I really do. I All sorts of shapes and sizes. I think that there are just certain kinds of guys that, like, always turn me on, like, large, you know, stocky guys, not necessarily ripped, but large stocky, um, kind of like your husband, girl. I mean, (laughs) shout out to that. Like, just like that. I was like, you know, you better work it out. Um, for that, or, um, I could every, you know, I have a thing for tall, lean, bald guys with beards. Like I, it's just, it's really weird. Um, but so it's not, it's not the skinny, it's not the skinny, like Twinkie kind of guy. No, no. You see, and, and, that, and that's the weird thing because because I, I'm not trying to look like what I'm attracted to. But that's what you wanted to be I, when you were younger, right? I mean, do I have that's that what, right? yeah, that's that, what I wanted. Yeah, manky. exactly. Yeah, because I thought that that's what other people found attractive. I oh. thought that, like, if I look like that, yeah, if I thought if I look like that, oh, then guys are going to find me attractive and then I'm going to get a boyfriend. Now I'm older and I definitely know better. I know that, like, there's different different, different strokes of different folks. People attracted to different things. And, and I think being in New York has been incredibly helpful for that because there's so many different types of people in New York and and you are into so many different things. So you can, you'll find something that's right for you. Yeah. This is definitely what I'm dealing with right now. It's definitely much more of an internal thing. It's like looking in the mirror and feeling like I am good enough, you know, without having to do any more, without having to look any better or without having to get a six pack, but be able to look in the mirror and be like, I'm not fat. Because what happened was I was, I was taking some pictures, shooting some, some for Instagram and, 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 and the move that I do, I I really need, I need, I was uncomfortable. I was sweaty and I really need to take my shirt off. And I remember taking my shirt off and taking the picture and the, and the feeling that came out to me was shame. Mm. I felt ashamed. And I said, okay. I said, this isn't like, this isn't, um, and, 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 and I said, and it's interesting because I, I, I'll let you, uh, this is another sort of thing that popped into me. There have been times when people have wanted me to sort of take my shirt off. But like, for example, I take a group fitness class with a friend of mine uh, on Monday nights and we're in that class for 90 minutes. And by the end of 90 minutes, we're sweating, we're a mess. You know, guys will take their shirts off, women will take their, you know, we'll take their, their, their workout tops off and be in their sports, you know, their sports tops or whatever. I never wanted to take my shirt off. And I, the excuse I came up with myself was, well, I don't want to be seen with my shirt off on social media because I work on a campaign or I work at the foundation or I do this. And so I need to be, I need to be aware of that. But, you know, the, the, now that, you know, my colleagues on, 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 the, on the campaign are so amazing and so wonderful. They know that I work out. Like, they know that, like, I'm in the fitness. I don't have to hide anything. And, and also, I'm just not, I'm not. And I have, even with that shirt off, there's a way to do it that, that's just respectful. Yeah. But what happened, I think, yeah, you know, but I think 
the most recent incident, I realized it was very clearly shame. Like I just felt shame. And I said, okay, if I don't want to take my shirt off because I want to be respectful or I don't want, you know, I'm trying to protect my image. That's one thing, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into another year of my life feeling ashamed, shame of myself or my, or, or, or my body. I'm just not going to do it. And I need to, I'm going to just confront that head on. Um, I'm old enough to know and wise enough now to know not that I know a whole lot, but I do know that feelings aren't facts. You can feel a particular way and it not necessarily be true and know that you can still do things even when you are afraid and you aren't sure. You can still jump in and do them and things can still turn out okay. So that's the journey that I'm on right now. So how do you, So I think it's that I like that you say that, that you decided you're not going to feel that feeling anymore. It's one thing to say that, and it's another thing to conquer. Mm. Like, so it's it's easy to say. You know what? Yeah. I just, I, like, I, for me, you know, I'm for, I'm pushing fifty. I'm forty nine years old, and I, you know, I felt like things are sagging. There's cellulite. I've got like um, spider <sighs> spider veins and things. Like, there's all kinds of crazy shit happening below the belt. And it's one thing to say this is. I I try to focus on what, what my body can do and not what it looks like. But that saying it's one thing, and actually conquering that feeling is different. How how do you do that? Yeah. So I, I, I'm experimenting as I go along, but what I'm focusing on right now is I, I'm, I'm sharing my, my journey, which I think is important because as, I, as I've been sharing it, I have found that a lot of people feel the same way and there's a lot of support. So for example, one of my, one of, one of my members uh, who comes to my class all the time, she has an amazing body. Like, and, and it's not even that she's skinny. She's just fit. Like she's very fit and toned and tanned and she looks great. And, you know, she came up to me on the side. She said, you know, I saw your post and I just want you to know, like, I know exactly how you feel. I struggle with that myself. And, and, and looking at her, you would think she looks great. Like, it's just perfect. Like, she struggles with it. And, she's like, you know, and, and we, we just shared a lot of the same things about how, you know, we grew up as, we grew up as fat kids. And, and it's, sometimes it's so difficult for us to, to turn that narrative off in our minds. So I think one is sharing with other people because then you find support. I think there is strength in, in being vulnerable because then you find that you're not alone and you can, you know, the strength in numbers. And the other thing is, is, is I, think, I think that little actions add up to big results. So one of the things that I used to do is I would walk around the locker room with a whole bunch of towels on. I mean, not a towel around my waist, towel around my neck. Like I would cover up my body, even walking around the men's locker room. And and I and that and that was because I was ashamed. Like I didn't want people to see my belly, my flatted backs, my whatever. Like so, even just on a small things, just one towel, you know, not covering my body up. Like and and just that alone, that is really hard because I'm just I'm so used to grabbing those two towels and using one to cover up my upper body because I don't want anybody to see it. But just being like, you know what? There's nothing wrong with my body. Like. It's, it's, it's fine the way it is. You know, it doesn't have to look like, you know, Johnny ripped over here. I'm fine the way I am. Who do you think has so it harder, that, women or gay men, when it comes to body image and aging and all that kind of stuff? Who do you think has the harder? Uh, you know, I really think women do. I, I truly do. Because I think that, um, I think a couple things. I think gay men don't have the same issues with aging as women do. You know, when women age... You know, they face so many, I think, cultural stigmas that not only, uh, you know, they, 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 they lose their social currency, they, um, uh, they, they're considered non-sexual, they're considered, you know, they, they, there's just a lot of things that they have to battle as they age in addition to the way that they look. I think gay men, by virtue of being men, um, I think as they get older, there's, uh, 
they don't necessarily lose it. I mean, there's a, there's a, in fact, there's a whole there's a whole subset of gay culture that's all about older men, you know, daddies, yeah. being successful, being mature, you know that you know that, that I mean that that's a whole thing that I don't really see existing in in the female context. Um, I also think that um, you know beauty for women, I think is is I think beauty and and so and their social worth you know, for lack of a better term, are tied together. We live, I think some, I think we still live in a society, unfortunately, that, that equates like what women's value with what they look like. Yeah. And if women, yeah, if women don't look a particular way or the beauty begins to fade, then somehow their value is lessened and they have to work that much harder to prove themselves capable of being in the room. You know, whereas men don't necessarily have to do that. You know, I, you know, another guy is an ugly guy, but, you know, he, you know, he, he, it won't be a criticism against his intelligence, his thoughtfulness, his conscientiousness, you know, an, an unattractive, whatever that means, woman will have to fight that much harder to get attention in the professional setting. Yeah. So I think, I, I think, I, you know, I think women definitely have it. Um, I think they have it so much harder and they have to do so much more to be attractive mm-hmm. and so much more and, and women's attractiveness has so much to do with their sexuality and being sexual and being and being sexualized for straight men, you know. Whereas I think with men, a lot of their attractiveness is tied into being masculine. Mm. So you know, men don't have to show up their bodies. You know, they don't have to walk around these little short shorts and 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 things hanging out. You know, to be attractive and to be considered you know desirable. You can't necessarily say the same about a woman. So yeah, I mean the the whole the whole dad bod phenomenon. I'm like, oh my god, right? A just dad like, yeah. bod is just like letting bod, yourself yeah. go a little, and women, there's yeah, no equivalent to that. <laughs> It's no cover. Women letting themselves go. Oh well, she's done. She's over the hill. Like no one's gonna like you anymore. Like you're you're finished. Yeah, dad bods are a thing now. So, so um, I I only have two more questions for you. But the first one, the first one is super personal. If it's if it's too personal, you can tell me to knock it off. But I think it would be really helpful to others who might find themselves in your situation. So, I have seen you over the past few years really kind of come into your power. And I think it was, was it last, about a year ago this time, you went home and came out to your family? And was it about a year ago? Um, Yeah, well, you know, I've come out to my family (laughs) about five times. (laughs) Each time they play, like, I come out and they they forget about it and I have to do it again. And the cycle just continues. And each and every time, yeah, and each and every time, Gosh, you know, I think there's a lot to it. You know, they don't, and you know, I think they always knew, but they don't necessarily want to deal with it, or maybe they don't want to acknowledge it, or maybe they're just not ready to handle it. But I think the most, in the most recent situation, I just said, listen, enough is enough. Like I, you know, you know, Dan Savage says this has a saying, and I think it's so true. Particularly as you get older and you become an independent person, people accepting you for who you are is the price of admission. You don't have to accept, you know, and in the case of my parents, I understand they have a very different, they might, they may have a difficult time dealing with it and I can absolutely be respectful of that and I'd give them time to accept it, but they're going to have to accept it if they want me in their lives. I'm an independent person now. Yeah. I live 3,000 miles away. I don't have to go home if I don't want to go home. You know, they don't have to come here if they want to come here. You know, so it's a voluntary thing now and, and the price of, you know, having me in your life is you're just going to have to accept this. You know, wishing it to go away, ignoring it, um, is not going to cut it. Were they mean to you about it, or or was it just like them kind of shutting their ears and continuing to treat you as if you were going to maybe show up with a woman at some point? And no, that's exactly it. Just kind of shutting, you know, kind of not, you know, shutting their ears, ignoring it, thinking I was going to show up with the wife someday. They were never, I kind of never, never mean about it. They were never cruel or, or rude. And, and I and I'm so thankful for that because I have friends 
people that I'm very close to that, that had terrible situations that were, that were homeless because of, mm. you know, they came out and their parents kicked them out. And, and I, you know, and I, uh, although I have a different homeless story, that is not mine. And I'm very thankful for that. So I, you know, and, and the thing is, is I, I empathize with my parents. I definitely, I can definitely, I, I see that it's difficult for them and I understand that. And I'm very, I, I, I think I'm very respectful of it and I try not to throw it in the face. So for example, I'm dating someone right now that I like a lot and I'm in love and they, and they know my mother knows that I'm dating someone. I don't put it in her face. You know, I'm very like, you know, you know, we'll, we'll get to that gradually, you know, step by step, you know, when you're ready to, you know, she, she knows that he's there. Doesn't, I don't know, you know, doesn't quite know his name yet. Not quite ready here, you know, to know his name, but you know, she will be, she will be at some point. And then, you know, she'll be ready to meet him. And then, you know, you know, ready to, you know, to see him on a regular basis. And then we'll get there together. You know, it'll be, a, it's a journey together. And I, I respect that. So do you think that she's happy that you found someone that you love? Yes. Like I absolutely know that Jeff, yeah, she has told me that she said that she is happy that I am dating and she's happy that I'm happy and I'm in a relationship. Like she gets that, that is an important part of the human experience. And she is happy that I'm happy. Um, I think for a long time, my parents thought that if I were gay, that somehow it would shorten my life or lead to an unhealthy life. Mm-hmm. And I think that way, you know, and, and ruin my career. They grew up in a different generation. How old are they? They're in their 50s. Uh, actually, 60. They're 65. 65. Okay. So, you know, they grew up in a different generation and a different time when being gay was was meant something different. I also just think it's the relationship with myself. Like, I, I remember trying to, you know, going home to visit and hiding and feeling like I got to, I got to watch my mannerisms and watch what I say. And I can't post things. I can't post certain things on, on, on social media and I can't talk about certain things and, and really feeling restrained and, and, and almost like I was suffocating. And so, I mean, apart from my relationship with them, it's about the relationship with myself. Like I I have to live with myself every day and I don't want to live feeling constrained and suffocated and, and holding back and ashamed you know, like there's nothing wrong with, with, with being gay. There's nothing wrong with me. And there's nothing wrong with my relationship with my, my, uh, uh, my boyfriend. Like, so why am I running around being ashamed? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, so <laughs> I mean, ha- I'm so happy you found a boyfriend. I just, it just makes me so happy to see you post pictures of you guys. I just, I'm just thrilled for you, honey. Oh, I'm thank so you. Happy. Thank you. Ooh, girl, I know. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, I, I met my husband at 43, so don't like, you know, you're doing okay. It's like it's 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 hard when, <laughs> when you wait a long when you feel like you're waiting a long time to meet somebody who's who's yeah. a, a right one. I don't believe that there's the right one, but you know, a right one, someone you can really connect with. How long have you guys been dating now? Um, maybe like six months, six months? Six, eight months. But you know, but I think a lot of it also, and, I, and I'd love to get your perspective on this. I think a lot of it has to do with your relationship with yourself. Like I don't mm. think, although I've known. His name is Robert. I've known Robert for years. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, we, we've known each other for a while, but we just got serious about six months ago. And, and I know a large part of that was because I was ready to open up and let him in. And I think he would say the same thing about himself. Because this time last year, even though we knew each other, we saw each other all the time, and um, we, we just weren't personally in a space where we could let somebody in. I know I definitely wasn't. Um, but uh, so I think a lot of it is relationship with yourself. And I think when, and, and I used to use all sorts of different excuses. Oh, I've got work. Oh, I've got this. Oh, New York is this. And, you know, I'm busier now than I've ever been in my entire life yeah. and um, hustling more than I've ever hustled in my entire life. 
And, I, you know, and I have a relationship. The difference is, is that I feel better about myself than I ever have before. And I think that that is what allows other people. I think that is what attracts other people like people. And, um, and that allows me to be in a relationship. What was, what was your experience? Like, why do you think, why do you think you're able to find somebody at 43, you know, as opposed to like, 33 or 23. I think it's really similar. You know, I had, I had been in a a fairly long relationship from 35 to 41. And then I, um, and I was broken up with my, I got my heart broken and I I was with this guy that I thought I would be with forever. And he Mm. left the relationship and I was devastated. I mean, and so for a couple of years I was just a mess and I was like dating 25 year olds and just like making it just, you know, (laughs) like, I mean, not a good look. But then I was, but then I met this guy who was a real jerk and I kind of spent about 6 months kind of getting jerked around by this guy and he was just such an asshole and he was he was like having affairs with half the women on the internet and it was just I mean just all just just uh. a, just icky 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 and so that I broke that relationship off around Thanksgiving and I spent a few just a few months being like what do I want do I want to be married? Do I want to have a partner? And, mm. I, and I did some serious soul searching and the answer to that was yes. And so over Christmas break, I was like, I am going to come back to New York City. I am going to get online. I am going to do some dating and I'm going to find a nice guy. No more jerks. Somebody who's like me, who's ready to settle down. That's what I'm finding. And I met Kelvin on January 31st. So oh, boom. Yeah. <laughs> so I do think that it's it's about, you know, I mean, this is kind of a uh, airy fairy kind of like, like phrase, but setting an intention about being really clear about what you want and taking the steps that support that dream and, Mm. and not doing stuff that gets in the way of that dream. Um, but what you said about, about, um, about loving yourself and being ready and being confident and being totally accepting of who you are, I have seen you blossom just even in your teaching in the past few years, like you really have come into your power and your, um, just yet your confidence is blooming and so i can really see that and i think a big part of that a big part of that is when you decided to to have that come to jesus with your family that's that was huge and you've i just feel like you i just feel like you're so much more comfortable in your skin now am i right about that no well thank you very much that really that really means a lot um yeah I, i think you're right i think I think that coming up to my parents was a result of that. I think, mm. I think teaching was really helpful. It was, you know, teaching and fitness, like I said, was just one of those things that was sort of with me, even through some crazy times in Miami and, and the, you know, in different places that I've lived and ups and downs. I always was able to teach and I, and I felt really good at it. Mm. And I felt like I could be better at it. It felt, I felt like it was something I could, if I really worked at it, it's something I could be good at. And that gives you a lot of confidence to have something in your life that, 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 that not only that you feel that you're good at, but there's room for you to get better at. Because I've definitely have taken on things that were just not for me. I was not good at them. I wasn't going to get any better at them. I threw so much energy and effort into them, and it was a brick wall. Mm-hmm. This was like something that like, wow, I'm good at this. And, you know, there's so much room for me to grow if, if, I'm, if I'm humble enough and listen enough and, and grow enough. And there are people that want to help me do it. So it just, it just really lets like a lot of confidence. And I think that... I think that as that confidence developed, it it then it empowered me to to take control of my life. Um, coming out to my parents, yeah. you know, leaving a, a, a job that just you know wasn't fulfilling me, and 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 taking on a role that 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 doesn't. And it's so interesting. It says, you know, one of the things I love about 
my work on the campaign is that even though I'm busier now than I've ever been, my experience on the campaign is so much different than other jobs that I've had because I'm so much more confident. So I'm able to assert myself more and let people in and let people see me. I, I understand what my boundaries are. They understand what they are. And, res- and the respect is just so like through the roof. Like it's just, I really feel like people get me, I get them. I'm here. I'm open. I can't, I can't always say that about other jobs. I, other jobs, I, I, I wouldn't let people in. I was, I wanted people to like me. You know, I, I was afraid of people not liking me. And you know, that's always a recipe for disaster here. It's here. I am take it or leave it. I'm going to be great no matter what. And, um, you know, I'm going to be fine no matter what. And then when you, when you let that go and you realize that you don't need other people's validation, as long as you like yourself and you can trust that you're going to be okay, you know, whether or not people like you, then you're really free to just go run, like see what you can do. And, and, and hopefully you run in the direction of like people wanting to catch you. And I feel like I've done that here, you know, at this, uh, at, you know, at this campaign. Yeah. So, so, so my last question, this is a question yeah. that I ask everybody, yeah. is how do you okay. define success and how, how do you know when you've kind of reached mm. success? What does that mean to you? Ooh, you know, that's such, that, that question is so timely because um, I used to think, and I was just thinking about this this week, in fact, I used to think that success meant making a certain amount of money mm. and um, having a certain status status. So making a certain amount of money and being like, and being, uh, and being a professional, I, I, I sincerely thought that that was what was success. And then I realized that, um, very recently that, um, it, it's not about that. Like it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. How, I mean, yes, you need to make a certain amount of money in life, especially living in New York, but more importantly, you need to just know where your money is going to have control of your life. Mm-hmm. If you can manage, if you manage your money, you can manage your finances, you can manage the people to manage your, your life. Um, and, 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 and live deliberately, that will make it for a lot of that. So now, honestly, my, my, my vision of success, the definition of success is um, peace. Do I have peace in my, ha- my life? Do I have joy? Mm. And um, am I happy most of the time? I don't have to be happy all the time because sometimes certain circumstances really suck, but I do want joy in my life. At the end of, you know, we've all had those days where it's like, God, work is really rough. Like class is really terrible. Like this person really pissed me off. But in general, <laughs> am I like the net, like the net, you know, when we subtract the positive from the negative, it's still on the positive column. Like I'm still, I'm still have joy. That's, that's what I want. I want to go to bed at night and feel like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in my life, um, where I'm supposed to be doing it. And I want to have peace about it. I want, and, and that's how I define it. Do I have peace? Do I have joy? And am I happy most of the time? And I could be making a lot of money, a little money doing that. I could be in New York. I can be in California. I can be in Baghdad. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, and I, and I really, and I think a lot of that, and I'll just end with this is I think one of the things that I'm really learning right now, and I think this is tied into my, how I feel of myself in terms of my physical, my physicality and my body image issues, but I'm learning that joy and peace are rooted if not entirely, but definitely in part, and being and being great and being gracious. When I take the time out to just be thankful, you know that like even on like even on my rough days, like at work, I'm, I'm still working on this incredible presidential campaign in New York City, you know, like you know with like some with really smart people. Like I have a job, I have a place to live, you know, like I have a job to go to tomorrow. I could not say those things a couple of years ago. Like I was seriously living in my car, and now I'm working on the presidential campaign in my own apartment in the West Village of New York City. I mean. 
what I have so much to be thankful for. Um, and I noticed that when I, when I go into a space of gratitude, I'm much happier. Like that, that, that's when the joy comes in. So I'm really taking a lot of time to just be gratitude and going to bed every night in that space, like and not going to sleep until I can get there. Like I do not go to bed angry. I don't go to bed pissed off at whatever is bothering me. I will find whatever I need to do, whether it's a Bible verse or a sermon or just talking to a friend on the phone or helping someone going ending my day in a space of gratitude and thankfulness. Jamal Smith, I think that's an awesome note to end this interview on. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm just so like excited. Ah, Your thank life you. just seems like it's really awesome right now. And I, I love that for you. And I love you. And I'm so happy that you took the time to share a little bit of Thank your story you. with my audience. I will, uh, where can people find you online? Do you, do you accept um, followers on Facebook or just friends? I, I do. I, I accept followers on Facebook. I, I am at Jamal Smith. And you can find me on Twitter at Jamal in the tweet, J-A-M-A-L, the letter N, D-A, tweet. And I am on Instagram at it's Jamal Smith. Jamal, thank you so much. I think you're awesome. Thank you so much, Toby. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of How They Did It. If you are listening to this in real time, meaning that you're hearing this right after we released it, we don't quite have our iTunes uh, presence up and running yet, but if you're listening to this in the future, say May 2016 or later, we will have an iTunes page. There will be a link to it in the show notes, and I hope that you will subscribe and leave us a comment or a rating. I hope that you'll also tell your friends about it. Those are all ways you can help support the show. I will include links to all of Jamal's internet pages in the show notes and if you'd like to contact me you can find me on facebook facebook.com slash darby or at darby w on twitter or you can find me at pregame magazine's facebook page how they did it is produced in partnership with pregame magazine special thanks to girls like bass for our theme song this song is called shake it you're probably shaking it just a little bit right now you can hear more from them at girls i'll see you next time thanks for listening 